Okay, if your seat belts are fastened, we're going to try to do four questions. Four questions. So deep breath. And um, the, the, the torture of having listened to the same guy all day is almost done. So um, on your notes there, we got Counseling 12, which is the case study with Eric, a pornography case. And this question asks us two things. To write down the homework assignments you would give him to complete after the first session. And then secondly, what specific issues you want to address in subsequent sessions, making sure that one of them is put off and put on. Counseling 14. What means would you use to find more about Sarah's current problem? This is essentially a data gathering question. So how are you going to get more information from Sarah and what information would you like? Sarah's the one that is presenting with depression. Counseling 19. What strategy would you employ to see repentance, reconciliation, and restoration happen between Tim and Emily? Counseling 20. Describe a detailed plan of restoring marital communication that you would pursue with them. Okay. So what we're going to do is uh, you're getting four for the price of one. Best deal of the day. You think Black Friday? This is the Black Friday of CBCD right here. So here we go. Um, homework and counseling issues. Um, because I've got literally 15 minutes to cover each one of these, we're just going to blow and go here as we say. But... Um, so let's just think about, with Eric, it's a pornography case. You can read it. There's not a whole lot of detail given there. Uh, but in a, in a pornography case, a sexual morality case, the, the biblical principles you're going to follow are pretty consistent. So let's talk about some first section, first session homework. And really, what I would suggest is that homework focuses on leading Eric to understand and practice comprehensive repentance. That's what's needed. And we'll, you know, remember he, um, he told his dad and there's some, you know, accountability software that needs to be, uh, or that's been put in place, I think. So, um, so what are we going to do? Remember, when we do homework, we're going to build homework around the normal spiritual discipline. So that's what I've done here. So for example, daily Bible reading, and passages that are going to focus on repentance. Um, or excuse me, uh, number one would be install the blocking and monitoring software. That's Matthew 5. We want to radically amputate. Two, we want to establish, firm up regular spiritual disciplines. Psalm 119, verse 9, right? With all my heart I have sought you. That's the first step of how a young man can keep his way pure. So daily Bible passages, passages that will focus on repentance, change, and hope. So if you were right, if you were doing the homework, what passages would you focus on for repentance and change and homework? What would your favorites be? Ephesians 4. Okay. What else? Any other suggestions? Psalm 51, right? The repentance psalm. Psalm 32, the parallel. 2 Corinthians 7. The um, true and false repentance, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Um, yeah, those would all be really good passages to encourage him. And then uh, daily prayer time, including specific prayer time to pray for help with temptation. Uh, I like the gospel primer for Christians as a way to keep Eric centered on the gospel. So having daily devotional readings from that resource Sunday morning worship and service where that's appropriate, being in a small group, trying to facilitate discipleship there. And if he's, all, if he's not already active, identify a need or opportunity to be able to serve in some capacity. So that's all about spiritual disciplines. We'd also want him to memorize 1 John 1, nine. Why 1 John 1, nine? Yeah, it's about confession and forgiveness just to anchor the fact that there's hope, right? There can be forgiveness and cleansing from unrighteousness, but it only comes through confession and faith uh, in the Lord as we would come. And then, uh, again, if this you don't have to do it just like me. I'm just giving some ideas here. I would probably have him buy 
and read the first chapter in Heath Lambert's book called Finally Free and then underline the 10 key sentences and to be ready to discuss. And then I want to implement a temptation plan. Uh, When I do temptation plans for pornography or other sins, my temptation plan looks like this. Get away, pray, call, obey. Um, When our kids were little, uh, we did a variation of that. Stop, get away, pray, obey. Just to kind of get them in the mode of I realize I'm not responding in a godly way. What am I going to do? Stop, get away, pray, obey. Uh, Years ago, um, with someone like Eric working through this, he was a college student, and he would be tempted in his dorm room, and uh, there was a 24-hour Taco Bell right across the street from his dorm room. And I said, that's where you flee. That's where you go. It's always open. And uh, anytime he was being tempted, he didn't, his roommates weren't around, he'd go to Taco Bell. And it'd be a lot harder to look at pornography in Taco Bell uh, than in your dorm room when no one else is around. Okay, so that, that's a suggestion for first session. What are we trying to do? The Matthew 5 is we're trying to restrict access and provide some accountability. Spiritual disciplines, those are the staple homework items, but directed at the counseling topic. Um, a resource that's going to help him lay out curriculum that will address his issue that's finally free and then the uh, temptation plan so that when he's tempted again he's got a clear path to follow what um what categories of um topics would you want to cover in that first session the radical amputation principles of matthew 5 regular spiritual disciplines accountability repentance resources that will help so these are the categories of homework that I'm trying to touch on in that actual homework assignment. So in a pornography case, if I'm the counselor, I'm doing all of those in that first homework session, homework assignment. In subsequent sessions, what might we want to cover in a pornography case? Uh, there's my list. Uh, Because I love you guys, I included the actual battle plan that I use when I'm doing a pornography case. That's Appendix A uh, in your notes there. So feel free to use that if that's helpful to you. Uh, My battle plan covers a lot of this, which is uh, the battle. The history of the battle plan was I'm I'm doing case after case after case after case, and I found myself in each counseling case doing the same thing. So I'm like, well, if I write this down, then... I could just hand him the plan. and So uh, so anyway, so as you're working through a pornography case, radical amputation, true repentance, gospel realities that make change possible, dealing with temptation, practical issues with lust, things like eye control, technology control, guarding your heart, being alone, all those practical issues. Uh, you got to talk about intimacy, right? you, you got to talk about sexual intimacy as, as God intends it in marriage as the, um, the antidote to the perversion that pornography presents. Um, and you say that, that maybe it's a married guy, maybe it's a single guy, but expect that Eric has all sorts of wrong ideas about sex and intimacy and how all that works, and those need to be remedied in passages in the Bible that actually present a biblical view of intimacy. I found it helpful to talk, to do assignments on loving versus lusting. Uh, I think a lot of guys think, man, I struggle with this, but as soon as I get married, I'm not going to struggle anymore. Well, that's just not true. It's not true because your sin in your heart is not your spouse's problem to remedy, first of all. And that sexual lust is actually the opposite of biblical love. So you can be committing a lot of the same selfish, self-indulgent sins towards your spouse that you're committing with the pornography. So intimacy in marriage is about giving and blessing, not about getting and gratifying. So you've got to address this. People misunderstand 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than to burn. Paul's not saying marriage is a solution to your love, your, your lust problem. Um, people misunderstand that. How to think about women in godly ways. Uh, what pornography does is it objectifies women 
And so you might have to train a guy. Here's how to actually relate to other women. Here's how to think about them as sisters. Here's how to honor them. Um, and then, you know, practical issues. And then dealing with the heart. You know, what, what's the idolatrous lust behind the issue of pornography? Okay, so that that's a topics that you're probably going to want to cover. Again, your list doesn't have to be the same as mine. I'm just giving you some ideas of what you would cover. Again, Heath Lambert's book, um, I've, I've given you several resources there. Brian Croft's little pamphlet is excellent. Tim Chester's Closing the Window, Heath Lambert's Finally Free. All of those are going to be insightful in terms of answering this question. Okay, so any any questions on... Yes. Yeah, so I think what happens there is you have to be a lot more careful at assessing what's, what is their level of repentance. In general, a guy that comes forward and says, I have a problem, will you help me, is probably further along in repentance than the guy that's caught. But repentance is the need either way. So sometimes we just have to evaluate uh, more carefully what is this guy's commitment to repentance. So. And I don't know that there's a magic formula on how to do that other than you just want to walk through those steps, look for fruit. I think sometimes as you're asking about commitments, whether it's accountability, whether it's software, whether it's meeting with another guy, that's where you start to see a repentant person is going to be not just agreeable but thankful for that. Someone who's not repentant is going to be resistant and defensive and argumentative. and So it's in the fruit where you start to see the difference. Yeah. Um, here, here, and then here. So, yeah. 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 So you guys understand that um, not every case report that's given here is one that you're going to do. I'm probably not going to counsel Sarah. Um, Ladies, you're probably not going to counsel Emily or, or uh, Tim and Emily and Eric. But what we're, what we're trying to do here is not, I appreciate that because we want to be complementarian. The, the, what you're trying to illustrate here is I understand enough about counseling practice that I'm, I'm able to give a homework assignment or whatnot, even though, yeah, this is an area, ladies, where it might be Erica but not Eric, but you're, you're still answering it uh, the way that it's given. Yeah. So I, as far as I know, I, I don't, uh, you're not you know you don't have to alter it um for that and then uh mike did you have a question yeah uh the age of the counselor i think following the titus 2 model of older to younger that's where we want to try to be um it, it's not wrong or ungodly for a younger but competent counselor to counsel somebody who's older, but it's not necessarily ideal. Yeah. So insofar as we can follow Titus 2, we try to do that. Yeah. Yes. What percentage of, do you see women crossing over into this area of uh, struggle with pornography? Higher than it's ever been in our culture. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this need is also yeah. in the realm of women. Yeah, you'll see Eric and Erica. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. I didn't read it. Yeah, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, what I mean is in your counseling ministry, my counseling ministry, we're going to see both men and women that struggle. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so w- pornography use amongst women is higher than ever. Part of that is, well, I, I won't go sociology on you, but I, I think a lot of it is just, um, it is so much more overt in terms of marketing, in terms of what's available in entertainment, in terms of what's promoted in social media. And, um, you know, pornography works differently with women than men, I'm convinced, talking to ladies and talking to men. But it's, you know, the, the God of this world knows how to present it in a way that can make both men and women fall prey to it. And that's just the sad, broken world that we live in. Okay, uh, let's shift gears. We'll talk about that next question about data gathering. This is uh, Sarah. What information 
Remember, the question asks, how are you going to learn more information and what information do you want? So, so don't do this. Don't say, I'm going to ask her questions and here's the information I want. You're going to ask her questions. That's one way to get data, but you need more. Okay, so let's talk about different ways to do that. Some of the methods that you're going to do to gain more information from Sarah. Of course, questions would be number one, extensive and intensive. Extensive, you want to get to know a lot about Sarah in different areas. And then you want to get to know in more depth in particular areas um, that are relevant to her struggle. With Sarah's permission, interview her husband. Hey, Sarah, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so sorry to hear about you know your, your depression and, and the struggle. Um, I'd sure love to get to know more about your situation. Do you think you know your husband could come in next time and we could talk together about it? Or would you mind if I reached out to him and just got his perspective on it? And there may be reasons where maybe there's some factor that says, eh, that's unwise. But I would think you know if this is a Christian couple in your church and the husband is trying to help his wife and they're walking through it together, that's a probably no one knows her better than the husband. And that'd be great for you to talk to. You can gain more information through writing assignments. So uh, have her keep a journal of upsets, times when she's feeling particularly low or, or uh, depressed. Have her write her life story or write out areas of responsibility that she's struggling. Remember, she's struggling to keep up with life, right? So you say, well, what are some of those responsibilities that you're struggling to keep up with? Write out challenges in family, in marriage, um, in other areas. Uh, write anxious or depressing thoughts in a journal to, to get to know what, what is what is she wrestling with in her head. And then halo data. You're, you're looking at her. You're, you're gathering data just by tone of voice and body language and, and posture and all those things that she's not saying directly but are communicating things. In terms of some of the content, what would we, uh, what would we want to get to know? Um, I, I think two big categories. One is medical, and then one is life and circumstances. So medical would be, has Sarah had a complete medical checkup since the onset of her symptoms? We'd be looking for underlying medical problems, medications, uh, complementary and alternative uh, medical use, uh, etc. Right? We, we want to explore what are all the things going on medically, what's she putting into her body that may be affecting her. And um, so we need a good physician to help us work through all that. In terms of life circumstances, you'd want to know things about her marriage, her children, her health, finances, work, friends, outside family, other significant life issues. You would certainly want to ask her what happened six months ago if there is a trigger event in all of that. Um, so we want to know something about uh, her life circumstances. We, we, uh, wait a minute. We also want to know how she's responding. And Okay, so I guess we don't have the slide about how she's responding, but you have it in your notes, right? Yeah. So look back at your notes then. So how is she responding? We, we want to maybe do an inventory of emotions. Uh, what emotions is she demonstrating? Is it anger? We know it's depression. Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Um, is it hopelessness? Is it uh, uh, sad, sad? You know, when you see about depression, th there, are, there are flavors of depression. There is like, I lost something depression. There is, I'm really upset about something, depression. There is, I lost hope in something, depression. There is, I can't deal with this, depression. I mean, there, there's different types. And so we want, we want to get to know, well, what, what, what brand, what flavor, if we want to call it that, is her depression? And then uh, how is she, is she turning generally to God or away from him? In what ways is she seeking God? In which ways does she need to seek God? Are there unhelpful things she's turning to, things like idols and where are her desires? How is she doing taking her thoughts captive? That's big, of course. Um, you know, depression is fueled by the wrong type of focus and the wrong type of thinking. Uh, Philippians 4.8, right? We, we want to dwell on things that are true, right? Let your mind dwell on these things. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, take every thought captive. And so that discipline of taking thoughts captive is necessary 
if we're going to help Sarah. So before we get there on what to do, we want to just get a sense of how is she doing in that? Is she even trying to do that? And then complicating problems. You say, what's that? You know, maybe there's a mother-in-law or a brother-in-law or a father-in-law involved. You know, maybe, maybe there's a medical issue in the family. Maybe one of her children has a disability. Uh, maybe the husband just lost his job and they have financial issues. Maybe there's strain that their church just split. And I mean, you don't know. But all those things could be complicating issues that are playing into all of this. We'd also want to know something about her spiritual condition and her involvement along the lines of what we talked about with Eric, uh, evaluating spiritual disciplines and uh, making sure her profession of faith is legitimate. Uh, influences, who is she listening to? We, we know at least she has friends telling her to get on antidepressants. So what information or counsel is she receiving from well-meaning friends, family, Google, social media, talk shows, blogs? Goodness, we, we live in a culture where you can... Uh, Go to your favorite AI bot and say, I'm feeling depressed. What should I do? And the bot will tell you. That's the day and age we live in. And um, I, I, uh, on that, you guys will appreciate this. I have a friend who just got a job, and uh, she is a bot trainer. A bot trainer. So she, has, she got hired by a company where she logs into a portal, and she is training the bot. So not training your dog, like, you know, sit, roll over, but like write an essay, write a four-page essay describing the geopolitical dynamics that led to World War II in the Pacific theater. And then the bot generates it, and then she goes back and critiques the bot. And the bot learns based on her input. This is the world we live in, right? I've got, I've got students up at, at the university and, um, you know, we're having to say things like, the bot can't write your paper. Um, you know, back when I was a kid, it was like, look over there. <laughs> you know, that's how you had to cheat, right? And, and now it's like, you can cheat in the comfort of your uh, laptop and easy chair somewhere, right? So... Yeah, 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 and and depending on where the well, this is, the, the, we're not digressing to an AI conversation here, but uh, um, you know, depending on where the bot is pointed to in terms of sources, I mean, the bot can be more or less reliable. But but my point is, um, Jay Adams didn't have to deal with that. David Pallison didn't have to deal with that. The Puritans didn't have to do pastoral care like this, but we do. So uh, we'll lean on our young theologians here to help us old guys understand how to do that better. So, um, thing that you want to ask her about her habits, her schedule, her lifestyle. Are th- is there anything hidden? You look at someone like Sarah and you go, what do I not know? Like, what is she not telling me? And that's maybe where talking to the husband might be insightful. Uh, I, what if she doesn't know? What's that? What if she doesn't know what's bothering her? Well... She may not be able to know what's bothering her, but as you get to know her, a lot of that will float to the surface. So um, we, we have, there's, there's this great reminder in the Bible that this is a sword, living and active, and it's able to do what? to pierce as far as the division of both joints or uh, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And then I love that last line, able to penetrate the, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what? You and I, on our best day of counseling, can't do what the Bible can do. That's what's going to penetrate. So our role is to minister the word and then let the word do its work in all of that. So, um, yeah, but we just want to ask the question, you know, Sarah, is there something that you're not telling me about? Not like you're accusing her, but just have you, have you told me everything? Um, Pastor Terry and I both had a mentor that uh, that taught us always ask the next question. You know, when she says, um, "You know, I'm I'm having trouble, I'm having trouble with the children." Okay. Ask the next question. What sort of trouble are you having? Well, you know, usual child stuff, discipline, and what kind of discipline? Well, you know, my my four year old uh, isn't respectful to his brother and. 
you know, uh, what worked on the other two kids isn't working on him. Oh, what are you doing? You know, so you, you just you keep asking the next question to try to get to the data that you need. And, and, and it's not like there's some secret knowledge at the end of that question train. But what you're trying to do is better understand the situation. And um, again, there, guys, I could tell you story after story. There's all sorts of types of depression in the sense that you would be amazed what um, what's behind depression sometimes. Um, and then um, other sources of stress type of thing. So so we wanna we wanna work through content, medical issues, life issues, responses, spiritual condition, influences, habits. And other sources. Again, you've got uh, lots of resources there to uh, to help you along the way there. Okay, um, moving on to question number three. This is the Tim and Emily case study where we want to talk about strategies for facilitating repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. Uh, first of all, you say, um, are those different? Yes, those are different. Repentance is one part of reconciliation. Reconciliation is one part of restoration. So I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, let's say a husband and wife get in an argument, words are said, uh, accusations are made, and um, she's like, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. She, she's off to a girlfriend's house or off to her mom's house or whatever. You say, okay, what, what do you have to do to, to help that couple? Well, first of all, there needs to be repentance on both sides where repentance is needed, right? That's step one, repentance in the heart. Then there needs to be reconciliation between the parties, and that is um, dealing with confession and forgiveness between persons, between the husband and wife, in terms of what actually happened. And then the precipitating issues are the things that bring restoration, right? Um while they might be reconciled in terms of their friendship, let, let's say they were disagreeing about, um, I don't know, well, let's talk about something that couples never disagree on. Where do we go for the holidays? Can we do that? Uh, do you guys struggle with that or you always agree with, you, you do? Okay. Children? What's that? Yeah, that's right. That sounds like children. Um there's nothing in this house to eat, they say, as they look at the fridge that's fully stocked, right? Um, so, so what do you do? Well, th- what I'm saying is in order to be fully restored, there might need to be some rebuilding of trust. There might be some working through of some disagreements. There might be, uh, well, let's say, it's, let's say it's not something simple like that. Let's say it's an adultery case, much more serious. Repentance, reconciliation is, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Restoration is rebuilding trust, intrusive accountability. Um, ta- if, if one of them left the house, when is that? When is it appropriate for them to come back? Uh, has the other party been dealt with? I mean, all that's involved in that restoration process. So um, it doesn't always have to be like you know three things that take forever, but just those are distinct when you're thinking about a potential marrow counseling case. So what are some strategies? The, the question asks, what's the strategy for facilitating repentance, reconciliation, and restoration? So if it were me, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here. I think Ken Sandy's outline is sufficient for this because it will address all three of those. It addresses repentance, it addresses reconciliation, it addresses restoration, and then we can supplement in addition to that as needed. You guys are familiar, uh, Ken Sandy has what he calls the 4G outline that has nothing to do with your cell phone network. The 4Gs, in fact, he wrote that before there was 4G. Um, So G number one, glorify God. G number two, get the log out of your own eye. G number three, gently restore. G number four, go and be reconciled. So if if I'm writing the answer for the question on ACBC, I would say, I'm going to use a time tested resource by Ken Sandy called the Peacemaker and here's how I would do that with Tim and Emily. And I just lay it out. You say, that's plagiarism. It's not plagiarism if you're giving credit and you're saying, I'm following a, an established curriculum here. Now, you don't have to do that. You, you can come up with your own as long as it's biblical. But I think Ken Sandy's material is so good. I mean, you're going you're gonna to end up saying 80% of the same things, probably. So, um, And then uh, you can use 
the peacemaker or the peacemaking for families. Peacemaking for families has some additional chapters that the original Peacemaker book doesn't have that are unique to uh, some of those family relationships. So you might find that to be helpful. And then uh, I would also want to say in my strategy, as more significant issues are identified, like bad financial habits, misuse of roles, we want to address, that should be these issues, in more depth, use other resources if needed. But that's the strategy. And I know that doesn't look very impressive, but that's what you're doing. You're not getting into every detail. You're giving a strategy. That's all the question is asking for. Uh, The other thing you might want to do is to define or at least explain repentance, reconciliation, restoration. So repentance, right? That's when I turn from sin to God for help, confessing my sin, seeking forgiveness. Reconciliation, that's when I confess my sin, seeking grant forgiveness with another person. Restoration, that's when I, uh, with working with the other person, I work through the issues to be restored in our relationship together. And then I've given you a bunch of uh, resources there uh, that you can look at further. Any questions on that? That's probably your easiest answer right there if, if you follow the peacemaker. But um, Now, again, you've got to get to a page or a page and a half, so you're going to have to you know, fill out a little more what does glorify God do, fill out a little more what does get the log out of your own eye, etc. But you won't have trouble filling up the page. Okay, questions on that one? The seven A's? Okay. Let's see if we can do those, class. Pull out, your, pull out a paper for a pop quiz, right? So A number one is... We'll see if we can even do them in order. <laughs> Address everyone involved, right? That's always God and sometimes other people. These are the seven A's of confession. The seven A's of confession. What's the second A? Avoid if, but, maybe. Those are what? Say it with me, class. Confession, killing conjunctions. Right? We're avoiding, we're making excuses. We're avoiding, you know, you, you go to your mom. You say, I'm, Mom, I'm so sorry. I, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. If you have just served a better meal, you know, if you just helped me with those rabbits. Remember, I had 19 rabbits running around in the backyard. And, you know, I see that it kills the confession, doesn't it? So, so address everyone involved. Avoid if, button, maybe. Number three. Admit specifically what you did. Remember, that's both attitude and behavior. Right? So I'm I'm talking to God or the other person when I'm confessing my sin. It's not sorry for what I did. You know that thing I did. You know that thing? Don't do that. Say, you know, I said this, I did this, I responded like this, and, and, and you're being specific, right? When I said these words, when I reacted this way. And, and not just your behavior, your attitude. Uh, I was being selfish. I was being prideful. I was not being kind. I was thinking only of myself. That's what we're doing there. So address, avoid, admit. Uh, four is what? Acknowledge. The hurt, sin affects other people. We're getting to apologize. Um, acknowledge the hurt is just sin hurts other people, right? And, and part of repentance is recognizing that my actions, my words, my behavior was impactful to you. It was hurtful to you in some way. Um, what are we on? Number five, we're on... Um, Uh, let's see, accept the consequences. Accept the consequences. I'm running out of pens that work up here, so I'm on purple now. 
accept the consequences, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a... Thank you. Do you want to sing the whole song? Not really. Okay, I won't make you do that. Um, so he goes, remember, he's up in the tree. He sees Jesus come down. I'm going to your house. He goes to the house. He walks in. He, he, he is uh, pierced in the heart in terms of his sin after hearing about Jesus and his message. What does he say? Yeah. I'm going to go find the people I swindled, and I'm not just going to give back what I took from them, but what? That's right, yeah. So that's called restitution. And um, if you have stolen something... <coughs> Part of repentance is making that right, restitution. You know, you probably taught your kids like I taught my kids. You're playing in the yard, playing ball. That ball goes through somebody's window. It's an accident, right? But you need to go pay for the window. Tell the neighbor what you did, right? Make it right. Um, so we're accepting the consequences, right? Now, in, in, in a more serious scenario, that might be accept the consequences is my wife is going to have trouble believing what I say for a little while, and I'm okay with that because I've got to rebuild trust. Accepting the consequences might be another trusted brother in Christ has access to my schedule, my text messages, my bank statements to make sure that I'm walking in repentance. You know, So consequences come in all shapes and sizes depending on the confession. What's number six? Do you guys not know these? Alter your behavior. Alter your behavior. Because remember, repentance involves both putting off and putting on, right? So we're not just saying, I'm going to stop the wrong thing. It's I'm going to replace the wrong thing with the right thing. So altering your behavior. That's a part of confession. When you teach your kids to repent, don't just say, I'm sorry, mommy, I won't do that again. Ask them this. How should you have, ta- have, how should you have treated your sister? How should you have spoken to mommy? Um, you know, part of this is saying, if I'm going to change next time this happens, I have to know what I should have done. So that's the put on side, right? So that's all to your behavior. And the last one, we get to it, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Uh, he has a version where this is apologize. But um, forgiveness is actually a more biblical word, so I think he changed it down the road there. Okay, those are the seven A's of confession. Am I the only one that passed the quiz, by the way? Yes. Is that, okay, so very, very good to, to do that. So is that in Ken's book? Yes. Yeah, you can Google it. It's in the book. It's in the booklet. So, yeah. Yes. Yes, the pamphlet, yeah. Yeah, so the Peacemaker has, um, there's the big book, there's the Peacemaker for Families, it's a smaller book, a lot of the same material, but additional stuff for families. There's a booklet called Biblical Peacemaking, it's out of print. We actually have permission to use it in our church, so we use that still. And then there's the one that Mike is talking about, which is a smaller version that overviews the peacemaking principles. It includes the seven A's, the four promises, the four G's, but it's um, it's like a trifold kind of thing or something. Yeah, it's like a brochure, yeah. Okay? Thank you. All right. And then the last one is this restoring marital communication. We, we want to help Tim and Emily uh, restore communication. And um, so one way we can do that is by following a great resource... On communication, uh, one of my favorites is um, uh, where is it up here? It's uh, I guess I, I guess I have it in your notes here. Um, the Paul Tripp book, uh, War of Words. So uh, I I've used that for years. It's so good. Uh, if you want something smaller, uh, Stuart Scott's little book called Communication and Conflict Resolution. If you need the nuclear option in terms of extensiveness and Depth and 900 Bible verses. Wayne Max, strengthening your marriage is definitely what you want. Doctor Max, middle name is Thorough. What's that? This is the last question. I'm looking at restoring marital communication under use existing resources. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of you know what what's a what's a strategy, what's a plan for restoring marital communication? 
Well, the first thing we have to do is work toward reconciliation and past hurts. We kind of assume that based on the previous question, but if not, we would want to work toward reconciliation and past hurts. When I do counseling, especially marriage counseling, I always do conflict resolution before communication. You say, why is that? They're not going to be able to communicate biblically if they're harboring bitterness in their heart toward one another. So we've got to deal with the heart first, get them reconciled, then teach them biblical principles of communication. So walk through that with them. Those are some good resources. Uh, Steve Iyer's Putting Your Past in Its Place. If past hurts are very complicated, his book will help you to work through that. Uh, teach biblical communication skills. Uh, we, this is track one review, things like the four rules, principles of good learning, of good listening from Proverbs. And then, uh, so it's not enough just to teach them how to talk. Now you have to teach them how to implement, right? So that's the change process. We take what we learned here and we learn to apply it. So you can use Jay Adams' The Conference Table, uh, homework assignment ideas that emphasize the doing of the word, practical putting off and putting on, a clear plan for how to deal with miscommunication. That's important. You know, Next time you miscommunicate, what are you going to do? Don't do what you usually do. Here's what you're going to do. Teach them a different way to handle that. Uh, when conflict arises, how are you going to stop conflict? Proverbs says, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out, right? The, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So teach them. When a conflict starts, how are you going to hit pause, back away, and then divert to go a different direction? And uh, so walk them through that. When appropriate, date nights. Don't, don't, don't send them on a date night. If they're bitter and resentful and angry and you haven't done anything to help them do that, why don't you go on a date? You are asking for World War III. Don't do that. So help them reconcile, give them some communication, and then go send them on a date night. And, and don't, don't set them up for failure like that. Not that you would ever do that. Not that I ever did that when I was a rookie counselor a long time ago. But anyway, um, common calendar, right? Evening check-ins. Common calendar just means you're, you're trying to help them to promote communication. I, uh, there's a lot of things I don't like about Google. Google Calendar is great for marriage. It's great for marriage. I got my calendar. My wife has her calendar. They're shared. And then that way, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't have to talk about because it's there. And I go, oh, she's going to Sally's on Thursday or I got to take the kid to ball practice on this night. And, you know, so you just, you do that. So um, evening check-ins. I don't, do you guys do this? Um, as often as possible, um, unless the day's been really weird, uh, I, I, like sanity in our marriage is to just sit down with my wife, even if it's for a few minutes, and just say, how are you? How's it going? How was your day? It may be, how was your day? Oh, you know, but, but something, right? That, that that keeps a couple on the same page. And, and while it's not deep, profound communication all the time, what the, the reason that's so important is you're resisting the, the temptation, you're resisting the tendency of couples to drift, right? You know, every, every marriage has an alignment problem, right? You know, you get in your car and uh, you're trying to drive down the road and it wants to pull one way or another. Every marriage is like that. And so you have to do things to keep your marriage vehicle on the road and not pull into um, all sorts of problems, including one of the alignment issues that, that marriages have, even good marriages, is just a tendency to, to not communicate. We get busy, we get tired, and uh, we need to keep promoting that communication. So developing little habits like this, they're not biblical in terms of you have to do them, but habits that keep your marriage in the lane is wise, and Tim and Emily need to do some of that in their marriage. Yeah, so, I mean, depending on how uh, extensive uh, a program is needed, I will either work through the book with them and then give them homework assignments from the book, or maybe I will pick and choose different parts of the book to go over in the session and then give parts of the book for homework. So they'll give you stuff and then you go over it. With that would be one way to do it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is that kind of like Love Dare? Is that kind of like Love Dare? Um, Love Dare's different, and, and I think something like that can be useful. I think the difference is um, this is going to be a lot more comprehensive. Um, 
for what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got a situation where there was issues of data, and that was one issue, but really there's like maybe cells and issues behind that. Yeah. The lieutenant, does it have to go through all those things before you really can move Yeah, on? yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. So... You guys understand what she's asking? You got a couple, and, and they've got all sorts of problems. You're hearing about just the most recent. Does repentance mean we got to go back through all 938 conflicts that they had? Answer, no. Don't, don't do not do that. Would, excuse me, 3,000. Thank you. Not a very good counselor. I'm not listening. So, so here's what you're looking for. You're looking for things that are significant, and you're looking for patterns. And um, th those are kind of the main things. Significant would be our arguments always go back to this. Well, that's a significant issue. Our arguments always tend to have these features. Well, that's a pattern. So no, you don't have to do all 3,000, but you do need to address significant issues that keep coming up and any patterns of behavior, patterns that, that need to be established. And, and I find too, once you start getting them on the road here, and you're dealing with the patterns and, and maybe the significant issues, they'll forget about 2,963 of them, you know, because you've, you've addressed the heart issues with the patterns that are behind a lot of those instances. You know, if you were to catalog that, you don't need to do that. What you find is they're having the same conflict over and over and over again without realizing it. It might be a different precipitating issue, but it's the same fundamental heart issues. Yeah. Yeah. Do you celebrate their victories? Yeah. I, I think biblical encouragement. I, I think sanctified attaboys and and appropriate, um, you know, prayers to the Lord and thankfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On this uh, one before, is this just like something you have to sit down with a pad of paper and you have to write down from your own perspective what always seems to be an issue? Which one now? Oh, yeah. Well, so, so here, here's the thing. You're trying to walk a careful line between, as the counselor, I have to know enough about what's going on to figure out what the patterns are and how to help them. What I don't want to do is violate 1 Corinthians 13 and start keeping a record of wrongs. So, so well, but, but here's why. Because couples will want to do that. You know, he comes in with a list. Hey, counselor, I've got cataloged right here on my iPhone. You know, and I'm going, no. I mean, I, and, and even, even if his intention is good, like, like he's not like, oh, my, life, my wife's horrible because of all these things. He's saying, these are the issues. It's like, oh, I got it, but we're going to go a different direction, right? We, we don't need to go through, you know, every fight you've had over the last five years. And uh, I've had guys do that, you know. At my phone. I don't want to look at your phone. I believe you, right? So let's just, you look at your phone and you tell me what are the patterns that you see, or give me one or two of the most significant examples. Here's the other thing too. If by God's grace, they learn some tools and they gain practicality in using the tools, you don't have to work through every conflict because they can do it themselves. So that's another strategy to employ. There's always heart issues. Yeah, the heart drives everything else, so there's always heart issues. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so abuse. So if a really a threat to assault a wife, mm -hmm. like it verbally comes yeah. out, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you say not to go big? Because I've heard different mm -hmm. things from different people. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, yeah. Well, what Paul's getting at when he, do, he gives that list of what love is and love does is he's saying, um, if I'm walking in love, if I'm walking in forgiveness, I'm not keeping a record in, in, in the sense that I'm holding things against you, I'm using things 
that I can use for ammunition. That, that's, the, that's the sense in what Paul means. So if a woman is cataloging what her husband says because she's in danger and that data is necessary for her to pursue protection, that's not a violation of, of 1 Corinthians. I think that that's a, a way of walking wisdom because she's not doing it because she's, you know, resentful or, or something like that. I mean, she's doing it because she's trying to get the help she needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm even thinking about me being like this is Paul's testimony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, what, what, so we're, if we're getting to something like that, that's where I would say, you know, I would want to sit down with an elder pastor, whoever, the, if it's a lady, whoever the lead counselor is, and just put your head together and say, how do we honor God with this? Because there's a line you're trying to walk between, I am forgiving, I'm walking in forgiveness, I am walking in love. But, um, you know, the, the, the commands to walk in wisdom as well. And, and wisdom often necessitates that if I document something so that there can be protection um, if needed, well, that, that's walking in wisdom. So I, I just think in that case, you take on a case-by-case basis, sit down with your pastor, your counselor, and, and figure out what's wise. Yeah, those are hard issues. Yeah, yeah Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So several scenarios. I, I think we. One of the things I, I just it's kind of crystallized in my mind is you want to let the goal of the ministry determine the pragmatics. So for, for example, someone says, "Well." How many sessions should I need to help this person with anxiety? Well, what's your goal? Uh, my goal is that they repent of their anxiety and they're consistently walking in God's peace in thankful prayer, trusting him. Okay, well, however many sessions you need to get there, that's your answer. The goal determines the longevity. The goal also determines um, the arrangement like this. So if your goal is, I got to just figure out what's true and what's not true. Well, you may need to separate them for her to be honest because she may not feel like she can be honest with him in the room if he's threatening or abusive or something like that. Uh, It may be we're going to separate them because both of them have or each of them have such significant heart issues that Matthew 7 says until they deal with the log in their own heart, they can't see clearly to help one another. So we're going to work with them individually and then when we feel like they've they've made some, some work with their own logs, then we can put them back together and they can work on helping their marriage. So you just you let the goal of what you're trying to do determine the the logistics and pragmatics and things like that. So those are just a couple of examples where you'd want to separate them. The danger, of course, of separating them in counseling is you're only getting one side of the story, and the goal is obviously to get them working together. So you don't want to keep them apart any longer than you need to. And if you are dealing with them individually, you have to have some way of verifying or confirming with the other party but not in a way that potentially puts somebody in danger. So it's it's complicated, depending on... Sure you do. Yeah, you get the permission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, do you guys want to have a little bit longer of a break?